Good morning. Welcome to our family gathering. Welcome to Cultivate. Uh, my name's Jay. If I haven't met you yet, uh, welcome. And uh, we're so glad to have you here uh, among us uh, for a time of uh, celebration and remembering the good news of Jesus uh, and being formed by God to be uh, his people. Um, and uh, it was daylight savings time. Nobody was here an hour early, so congrats on that. Those of you who got an extra hour of sleep, well done. Those of you who are parents, there is coffee in the back. So I know who you are. It's okay. You can get up and do that. Um, we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's a three-part series that we do every year as a church. Um, we, we have sometimes different names, but they're usually related to uh, gardening metaphors because we like those around here. Uh, that's why we're called Cultivate. Um, but we, we are tending to who we are in Christ. So this year we're calling it Rooted, and this is our identity series. We look at uh, who we are according to God and why it matters. And we ask the question, how does our identity then shape us as people and shape us as a church? What implications do, does our identity in Christ uh, give to us? And we look at it through the lens of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So um, because God is our Father, we are His children or His family. Because Jesus is the Son who is Lord of all, we are His disciples. And because uh, the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us for new life and to send us out as God's people, we are His missionaries. So we talk about these three things at least once a year. The fact that we are the family of God, we are disciples of Jesus, and we are missionaries of the Holy Spirit, sent ones, empowered with God's presence. So today we're going to start um, with disciple, which tends not to be where we start, but it'll make more sense uh, next week when we do our family identity. Uh, but we talk about this because one of the ways that we express or name what the Christian life is, is that we are continuously in a process of becoming or actualizing who we really are. Sometimes you might have heard the word sanctification to talk about this process. It's becoming who you truly are. Um, and so the, the, over time, we see the gap between who God says we are and how we live continue to shrink. Um, this idea comes uh, to us out of Matthew 28, which is uh, the Great Commission. Jesus gathers with his disciples after his resurrection, and he says to them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at our baptismal identity. The fact that we belong to God as beloved children, that we are sent ones of the Holy Spirit, that we are disciples of Jesus. And then we cap off this series uh, on Thanksgiving, where we have a, a week after um, we celebrate Thanksgiving with our families to come and celebrate uh, God's work in our lives and in our church. We typically do this through baptisms also. So if you've been uh, waiting to be baptized or if you know somebody who would like to be baptized, come and talk to me because this is a great opportunity. Uh, we tend to do it twice a year. So that uh, next chance is coming up the week after Thanksgiving. Um, 
So, disciple. We use the word disciple a lot. I'm not sure we often know what the word disciple means. Um, those of you who, you know, have uh, done a Google search, what is the Greek word for disciple, uh, might have found that it's the word methetes, which, which means student or learner. But the question then is, what are we learning? What are we learning when we are a disciple? What comes to our minds when we think about the process of growing as a disciple? Um, several years ago, I went to something called discipleship training, which sounds very official and serious. And um, the promise was that you would learn a process by which you could become disciples and make disciples. If you go through this and you kind of learn all the principles, then you can go and repeat this with anybody uh, who is in your life who might be interested. And so we, s- we sat down in this discipleship training in seats like you all are now um, to listen to someone like me stand up in front of everybody and talk about a process. And this process was based on a manual. We all got the manual uh, when we entered into the training. It was this big, thick book, like about, I don't know, an inch and a half thick. And in that book, there were two sections, essentially. There was a section called Theology, and there was a section called Disciplines. There's a section on what to know about God, and there was a section on what to do for God. And it's essentially like if, if you learn all the principles of this book and you sit down with this book and another person and you go through all these principles with them and you know enough about God and you do enough for God, then you will too be a disciple. Congratulations, you passed. Or you've started. <laughs> and I think that gets to a misconception about discipleship, that being a disciple is about knowing stuff about God and doing stuff for God. And we've talked about um, some of the reasons why this is uh, a faulty view of the world and a view of ourselves. Um, Because we've talked about this concept of falling into a secular sacred trap. That This is a a sub-Christian way of viewing the world that separates reality into God's space and our space. We've talked about this. Our space being church, Bible, Caleb. Um, That's sacred space. And secular space being all the other stuff of life. Jobs, mortgages, blowing leaves for 12 hours, which I'm about to do this afternoon. Um. And the, the fundamental problem with this reality is that it, it, it communicates to us that it is our job to bring the God space into the ordinary space by way of what we know and what we do. It's our job to bring it in. And that by knowing and doing, uh, then the responsibility then is on my shoulders to bring God into the secular, to take it back for him. So what I want to suggest, though, is that this scenario, um, if this is discipleship for us, is never ends up being what Jesus promises, which is a life of ease of burden and freedom. Because the, the onus is always on us, if this is our view, to produce for God, to make something happen. 
to do God's stuff to stuff. In other words, we, we falsely think that there is something I must do first in order for Jesus to break into my life, to break into my family, to break into my relationships, in order to get God to notice me, in order to walk with him. We're constantly asking ourselves, have I done enough? Do I know enough? And breakthrough is always around the next corner. Can you relate to this? The good news that we proclaim today, though, family, is that in Christ, God is always present and at work. Have you heard? And he's at work in our real lives, drawing us into the very life of the Father. And so being a disciple is not about being smarter or sinning less. It's about becoming one with God. It's not about being right or doing right. It's about being rightly connected to God. And so church, today, God has filled the world with opportunities to become aware of his presence. And his invitation to us is to align ourselves to that reality day by day, moment by moment. Friends, what are you waiting for? The kingdom is here. Um, I love this quote, and I've shared it for several years and still have had none of you tell me who it's from. So um, still don't know. It's unknown, uh, but it, it works just the same. The singular work of the disciple is to watch the kingdom as it breaks into their life. The singular work of a disciple is to watch the kingdom as it breaks into their life. It sounds like something Dallas Willard would say, but who knows? Um, maybe you'll Google it, and by the time we leave here today, I'll have a, an author. Um, this idea, though, is, is, this is, is paramount to what it means to be a disciple. And it, it, it connects directly to how Jesus often talks about what life in his kingdom looks like. So um, the parable that we use quite often is Matthew 13, verses 44 and 45, that the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like treasure hidden in a field, that when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The, in Matthew 13, Jesus has just finished explaining uh, to his disciples, to his learners, that the kingdom of heaven, which is shorthand for God's presence and influence in the world, is going to show up in unexpected people. The people that know a lot and do a lot, the, the ones that we often look up to as being the kinds of people who would obviously be exemplary examples of disciples if we were ever going to find one, those aren't going to be the ones who are actually most open to what God is up to in the world, turns out. Jesus said it's going to be the beggars and the lame, the prostitutes and the blind, the poor, the marginalized, the outcasts. The immigrant, those are the people that are most open to God's presence. And, that, and then the parable here, Jesus goes on to say that the kingdom, God's presence and influence is going to show up in unexpected places. So don't look in the wrong people to be examples, but don't, don't discount the, the right places because they're everywhere. They're all around you. Three things to notice about what Jesus says in this parable. The first is this, that the field where the man discovered that God is at work is not the place that he expects. 
It's not the place that he expects. It's not on some mountaintop. It's not in his place of greatest influence. It's not even in his home. It's in a field that he doesn't own. Unplowed, untended, the wild places, if you will. And it's an unassuming field. It's not something that appears to be full of God's presence. It's not uh, God's wonderland for Christians. It's just an ordinary field. In other words, it's a place that we might describe as secular, and yet Jesus calls it sacred. This is God's holy ground where treasure is to be discovered. The point, um, and often many of these things are going to point back to things that we've talked about over the last eight weeks. The, the point is that it, it leads to the truth that God is present and at work no matter where you are and what is happening. There is no split between secular and sacred. Our space is God's space, and God's space is our space. Second thing to notice is that God actually wants to be discovered. God isn't playing hide-and-seek. He's not playing hard-to-get. He places treasure out in the wild so to speak, so that we would actually find it. He puts it in the past that we already tread. God delights to be found. He wants to be discovered. He cares about our real lives more than we know, more than we, even we care about them sometimes. And he wants the course of our life to be taken in new ways, based on the discovery of the treasure that he's buried for us to dig up. See, I, I think oftentimes um, Christians are told to live life like adults with a rule book, when in reality we should be living like kids with a treasure map. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> we often live like adults with a rule book, and we reject that rule book, and we're like, why do I need these rules? When in reality, God wants us to live like kids with a treasure map. Where might I find him next? Where might I discover him? Jesus says uh, in his final prayer, John 17, verse 24, um, he's praying for his disciples and he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am. That's Jesus' desire. He wants to be with us, to be with you. So then the question is, where is Jesus? In verse 26, he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Friends, God is closer to you than you are to yourself. He is closer to you than you even are to yourself. Third thing to notice about the, the parable of the treasure in the field and the pearl um, is that there is a response taken by both of the individuals in the stories. Um, and, and their response is not about what they need to know. They, the, 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 the purchaser of the field um, doesn't go and scope out the exact dimensions, right? He, 
he doesn't uh, do an inquiry on the field and all the things that, like, all the people that have possessed it over the last 400 years. Um, they're invited to take an invitation to discern what they love and desire. That's the entry point. His response says, in his joy he went and sold all he had to buy that field. His response to God's activity wasn't begrudging obedience and it wasn't relenting to God's good advice. He sold what he had because the field seemed like good news to him. It seemed like good news. It seemed like the kind of place where he could build his life. Good enough to make space for it. Good enough to disturb the peace and to receive it. Good enough to make space so that it could do its work. Both of the people in the parables, they make space by asking themselves, what is standing in the way of me saying yes to this good news of God's presence and influence? What needs to move? What could change? What could go? What am I putting my hope in? What am I putting my joy in? What do I really want? What's worth giving up or giving over in order to receive the kingdom? Buried in both of these parables is an assumption that God's presence and influence is the thing that we're all after. No matter what we might be looking for. If this picture is at all descriptive, friends, of the life of a disciple, someone who's learning to uh, awaken and attune to the presence of God, then our response then is less about striving and it's more about submitting. Why do I want that? And what am I actually after? It's less about taking, it's more about receiving. God, what are you up to here? What are you showing me? It's less about control and it's more about consent. And notice, too, that each say yes, not just with their minds, but with their bodies. They offer their money and their treasure. They say yes to good news in concrete, tangible ways that demonstrate embodied trust to Jesus. Friends, the good news is that in Christ, God is present and at work in our very real lives, drawing us into the very life of the Father. Being a disciple is not about being smarter or sinning less. It's about becoming one with God. It's not about being right or doing right. It's about being connected to Jesus. And so church, God has filled the world with opportunities to become aware of his presence and, and, and has given us invitations to align ourselves to that reality day by day, moment by moment. Friends, what? What are you waiting for? The kingdom is here. Now there's a, a big caveat to this. Um, and that is that being a disciple is not a ticket to a carefree, easy life. That just because God is present at work doesn't mean that saying yes to him will come without pain or without difficulty. In fact, the people who say yes to Jesus often have to offer him the things that are most painful and difficult for them to look at. You remember um, the man with the withered hand? comes to Jesus looking for healing, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want healing. And what does Jesus ask of this man? He has to hold up the thing that has caused him shame his entire life for the crowds to see as an act of dependent trust in Jesus. 
And I think um, this gets at often why we don't want to encounter God. Because we often don't go looking for treasure in unplowed fields because those fields hold things that we've been avoiding. Lies that we've been believing about God and ourselves, shame that runs our life in one way or another, guilt, pain. That field is untended because we haven't gone and tended it. But the promise, though, is that as we dig, as we look at our real lives, as the fertile soil of God's activity, come what may, that we will discover God's kingdom. We will encounter His presence. We will see His influence, His hand at work. Um, A recent example of this in my own life uh, that happened to me on Friday. So it's pretty recent. Uh, It's not something huge, but it is recent. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to recall a recent situation from your life. So throw it up your loins. It's coming. Um, But on Friday, I was uh, engaged in a deprovement, a home deprovement project. You know what I'm talking about? You go to do something to your house to improve it, and you end up making it worse instead of better. You know? I was in one of those. <laughs> um, we, we've had like very drafty doors in our house since we bought it, it's, you know, since 1965 when the house was built. Um, and so I wanted to replace some of these doors before it gets really cold so that we can, you know, save energy and heat and things. So I, you know, went and bought a door, brought it home. The instructions on that door say, that for a professional, it will take one and a half hours. For a first-timer, it will take four and a half hours. And I figured I'm somewhere in between those two things, right? But you look at the instructions, and it says, step one, remove old door. Step two, install new door. (laughs) And I discovered there are like 45 steps between one and two that are not covered in the Geldwen material. Um, And so this project that I thought would take me at most four and a half hours was something up to like four and a half days. (laughs) And on Friday, um, we're supposed to have people over, right? We've been talking about having these dinners and uh, discussion over the last series. We do these, you know, every other week. And um, so the day is getting on, and all I have to show for my work is a hole in my house. And a door that will no longer fit because I leveled the threshold, which then made me realize that the header was offset. And now the door which fit before no longer fits. So all I have is like plastic where a door should be. And people are coming to my house in an hour. (laughs) Um, It may seem obvious to say this, but I did not want to have people over at this point. (laughs) I did not feel like talking about God or my feelings (laughs) or the hole in my house. I didn't feel like doing anything other than feeling ticked off about how this whole situation had gone. 
and I really did not want to share it with people. Um, later on, I, discern, I discerned that, that some of the bad news is, that was activating this anger, this frustration, um, some of the reason why I didn't want to have people over to my house in an hour <laughs> after all of this had happened was because of some bad news that I was believing. And this, the bad news goes something like this. People will only want to be around me when I have something to offer them. People will only want to be near me when I'm on my game. When I have something to say, something to offer, some wisdom to give. That was hard to face. Um, but the good news that I discovered, and I'll get into like how this all happened, but the buried treasure for me, in, in having people over, kind of like on the cusp of some like the worst stuff that's coming out of my heart, is realizing that people often have something good to offer me, and by God's grace are willing to give it. People are often a gift that I need to receive, not when I'm at my best, but when I'm at my worst. That was the treasure buried in the field. Now, here's the thing. God's activity in my life on Friday, it didn't start with joy. <laughs> Anything but. It began with frustration, anger, impatience, and wanting nothing more to be isolated. I wasn't ready to look at what was in my heart and start digging because the way that I often approach things that I don't like in my life and bad news that's operating under the surface is by isolating and thinking about it for a long time. Straightening my own heart out, cogitating on it, stewing over it, hiding from God and, and others until I have it figured out and I can be on my A-game. But on Friday, I was thrust into a dinner with people before I had time to figure things out and put myself together. All of this I saw as incredibly bad news. And yet, what was actually happening is I was walking through a field and stumble, stumbled on treasure, though I did not know existed. See, if discipleship is about knowing more and doing more, then Friday is not a discipleship moment. It's not an opportunity to encounter God's presence and His power at work in my life. But if, if discipleship is about union with God, if it's about becoming aware of his presence and attuning myself, aligning myself to that presence, then this takes a whole different skill set than what we're used to. Um, and oftentimes that skill set requires us to be open to things that are both awkward and painful. So um, practically speaking, if I, if I kind of break this down for us, um, the two skills go something like this. Awareness and alignment. Awareness of God's presence and alignment to what he's saying and doing. You might say it's like seeking and selling or perceiving and participating. 
encountering God and embodying trust. If you've been around the church for a while, this is called repent and believe. So awareness. What is awareness? Awareness is all about asking the question, God, what are you up to? What is happening in my life? It's paying attention to our desires and our emotions, the things that are coming onto our radar screen, things that are sometimes uncomfortable like anxiety and sadness and anger and fear. But sometimes good things like joy and excitement too. It's about um, perceiving that the, the situations that trigger these emotions, things like having a hole in your house and having people over for dinner at the same time, are not, op- uh, not opportunities for giving up. They're opportunities for pressing in because God might be at work there. And so when you uh, miss the traffic light, when you're late for work, when you're, hi- when you're hungry or hangry, when you're tired and cranky, when your kids won't behave, when you avoid tough conversations or irritable people. These speed bumps of life, they are often invitations that God is using to invite us to find him. This is what it means to be a kid with a treasure map. And so um, we, we pay attention to these things. This is our awareness. We bring our, our curiosity and our compassion to what's happening in our lives. And we ask, Jesus, why do I feel this way? What's at stake for me in this? What story am I telling myself about this situation or emotion? What am I truly believing about you and about myself? On Friday, what I was believing is that my worth is is in what I give, not who I am. That's why I was so angry. That's why I wanted to hide. This is awareness. And then, and then from awareness, we go to alignment, which is asking, what is the good news I'm being invited to believe here? What don't I see? What am I missing? What promise is God giving me that I'm failing to step into? And what would it look like for me to embody trust towards that good news, to say yes to it? On Friday, for me, it was realizing that I had nothing to give to a group of people And that was okay. I could still be there with people. In fact, I could bring my frustration to the people who are in my very windy house. I could say to them, I've had a bad day. And I don't have much to offer you other than meatballs tonight. (laughs) In other words, it's, it's entrusting myself to them, not knowing Uh, if they would receive me even though my tank was on empty. This for me was selling all I had to buy a field in God's kingdom. It was letting go of my protective strategies of having it all together. This was what it meant to say yes. That's alignment. So awareness and alignment to God's presence and activity, this is another way to say repent and believe the good news. This is the work of a disciple. And all of life is the classroom for how to discover ways to walk with Jesus. The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that in Christ, God is present and at work in our real lives. 
even when we don't want him to be. He invites us into the very life of the Father. And so being a disciple isn't about knowing all the right things and and not doing all the wrong things. It's about becoming one with God through connection to Jesus. Church, God has filled the world with opportunities to become aware of his presence and to align ourselves to that reality day by day, moment by moment. The kingdom's waiting for you. What are you waiting for? So let's respond um, by getting concrete, shall we? I kind of, you know, did that already. I broke the ice. It's it's safe to do here. Um, You don't have to share with anyone but God, but I invite you to do at least that. So we're going to respond by getting concrete. So um, if it helps you, close your eyes. If not, that's okay too. But I'd like you to recall a recent situation or relationship where you felt a strong emotional reaction. Something that's happened to you recently where you had a strong emotional reaction. Maybe it was anger like me or sadness or disgust or fear. It was something good, joy, excitement, happiness. As you think about that situation, allow yourself to become curious about why you felt the way that you did. One question you might ask yourself as you're being curious about this situation and why you felt the way you did is to ask yourself, maybe with God's help, what story am I telling myself about this situation? How am I trying to make meaning of the emotion that I feel? And is there a lie embedded in my thinking that contrasts with what God says about reality? Right now, you're doing the work of a disciple. You're becoming aware of God's work. So all that's left is attunement. It's asking God, what is the truth that you have for me in this? What's a word from you that I need to hear about reality? How are you present at work? How do you care about this more than I do? And then if that thing that you say is true, God, what would I do to act on it? What would I let go of? What would I start doing or stop doing if I were to cooperate with the good news that you've shared with me?
Father, this morning we give you our real lives. We invite you into the circumstances that are apparent to us because that's the fertile ground of your activity. So would you create an awareness? Would we not reject um, what we've experienced as being off limits to your presence? But maybe, maybe today, God, we stride into that field knowing that you see it with compassion and curiosity and you invite us to do the same thing. As we do that, Lord, would you align us to your kingdom? Would you open us up to good news and give us real tangible ways that we might say yes to the promises 